want to tell you, it is an honor to be with you guys tonight. What Can we give our worship team? Man. What a powerful time in the Lord. What a great looking crowd. And thank you guys for being here. And I want to give a shout out to some of the greatest pastors in the house. Can you give it up for your pastor and pastor's wife? Come on, how many of you love them? It is so good to be here. As Pastor said, I come from Nichols, Georgia. How many of you have ever heard of Nichols? Okay, some of you. And some of you are like, what is Nichols? Where is Nichols? Well, Nichols is a town of about 4,000 people and with one traffic light. That's right, y'all heard. Now, now, here's the thing about our town that's so cool, y'all, is that we have 4,000 people in our town, but 2,000 of those people are in the penitentiary. That is no joke. That is the truth. And so on our census, we count everybody, stray dogs, cats, cows, everybody. We want to include everybody in our census. So we bring you greetings from the Harvest Church and also Destiny Church, Warner Robbins. And I'm so sorry, my wife, she wanted to be here, but she had to work. And uh, so my brother-in-law came with me. And I told him since he was the pastor prophesied tonight, I drove all the way here, and I said, since he's chauffeuring me around, I see that you're driving home tonight. And so, anyway, it's good to be here. I want to get right into the Word. How many of you are ready for the Word? If you're turning your Bibles to Mark, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Now, listen, I'm not a long-winded preacher, so you just give me a few minutes. I'm going to get out your hair. My brother-in-law's giving me a look like a... I am not a long-winded preacher, okay? Mark chapter 8, let's go to verse 22, and we're going to read verse, uh, to verse 26. Mark chapter 8. If you stand for the reading of God's word, I know we just sit down. Hey, you know in the Pentecostal church, it's Holy Ghost calisthenics. It's up, down, up, down, up, down. Let's stand for the reading of the word of God. Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 22, it says, Then he came to Bethsaida. And they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, y'all, he spit on his eyes. That's nasty. It's a good thing Corona wasn't going on then. <laughs> and when he spit on his eyes and he Put his hands on him. He asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in town. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Let it challenge us. Let it change us. Father, move me out of the way. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Let revelation illuminate from these passages, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, the second touch. Somebody say the second touch. Here in our main text, we have this powerful story of a man who was brought to Jesus with the condition, and Jesus uses this crazy, unconventional method to heal him. The Bible says, as we just read, that Jesus spat on his eyes and he laid hands on him. Now, as you study the ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark or through the Gospel, you will find when Jesus met people who had conditions, they were usually instantaneous healed. In the previous chapters, we find where Jesus encountered this man who was demon-possessed, and when he came in contact with Jesus, he was instantly delivered. If you read just a little further, you'll see another story where Peter's mother-in-law, who was sick with, with fever, and the Bible says, when Jesus came and took her by the hand, immediately, somebody shout immediately, immediately the fever left her. Jesus even went into a city. It was Capernaum and, and they brought all who were sick and possessed and we read where Jesus uh, uh, healed all 
all of them and set them free. If you keep reading in the book, in the, in the gospel of Mark, you'll find a man who had leprosy and immediately, the Bible says, he came in contact with Jesus and leprosy left him. There was also this paralyzed man. Jesus spoke some words into his life and it resulted in him being instantaneously healed throughout the scripture time and time again when people needed healing when they came in contact with Jesus they were instantaneously healed there was even one instance where Jesus healed this guy who was deaf and mute and Jesus put his hands on this guy's ears. He spat on his tongue and he touched him and immediately his ears were open and his tongue was loose and he was able to speak again. Yet in our text, we find this blind man who has this condition. And he encounters Jesus. And when Jesus touches him the first time, it wasn't an instant healing. Jesus had to touch him again. And it was only after the second touch that he was able to see things more clearly. Why did Jesus need to touch him again? Why did he, he, he use this unusual method to bring such a miraculous breakthrough? You see, there are times in our life where we experience Jesus doing instant miracles and instant breakthroughs, but there are other times in our life when we experience Jesus uh, making us go through this thing called the process. But we have to realize that it's through the process, there's always purpose. Through the process, there's always purpose. When God does something instantaneous in our life, it feels good. It preaches good. When you come in sick and you leave church healed, it's awesome. When you come in bound and you leave delivered, it is great. But sometimes you have to walk this thing out. Sometimes you have to go through a process. You have to realize that when you are in Christ and you go through circumstances, that there is always purpose in the process because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, for this we know all things both good and bad work together for our good it worked together for our good but sometimes we give up on the purpose because we give up in the middle of the process we miss out on the purpose because we give up in the middle of the process but before we get into the why of the scripture, there are some things that are very powerful that I want to break down to you tonight. And I want to ask you this question. Who are the they's, T-H-E-Y-S, in your life? The Bible says in verse 22, it says, then he came to Bethsaida and they, somebody say they, brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. That word brought literally means carry. And what I find so powerful about this text is that this blind man had some friends who were willing to carry him to receive his breakthrough. They didn't just carry him to Jesus. They begged Jesus to touch him. My question to you tonight is who are the days in your life? I don't need somebody in my life who's going to take me away from church, who's going to take me away from Jesus. I need somebody in my life who's going to carry me to Jesus and who's going to pray to him on my behalf. I need somebody that say I experienced Jesus for myself and you're down and you're out and I can take you to the man who can change your life and turn your circumstances around. I need somebody to take me to Jesus they carried him to Jesus you have to realize that there are two types of people in your life it's there those who want to see you succeed there are those who want to see you healed and there are those who want to see you delivered there are the, and there are also some ones who are come alongside you and carry you when you need it I'm thankful for friends who are around me 
who will carry me when I need to be picked up. But then you have the other group of people. The other group are the ones who do not want you to succeed, who want you to stay down, who want you to stay bound, who want you to stay broke, busted, and disgusted. You know why? Because you being down comfort their insecurity. So you have to decide that I have to evaluate who are the they's in my life. See, sometimes we rather, and I'm telling you young people, if you can get this at a young age and realize that it's true. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. See, I have to surround myself with people who want to be something and make something out of myself because I figure out the law of attraction. Who I'm around is who I become. Listen, believe it or not, I participated in a bodybuilding competition. Take the visual out. I sang the national anthem. That's it. (laughs) Don't worry. They're like, oh, my God. But the more and more I was around those guys, the more I realized that I need to find a six-pack somewhere. Because that's who I was around. Who you're around is who you become. And as I said, we need to surround ourselves with people who are not like leeches who will just suck the nutrients out of you, but somebody who will give life to you. Somebody who is going to take you to Jesus take you to Jesus. I need some days in my life who's going to carry me when I need to be carried, when I can't carry myself. So my question to you tonight is who are the they's in your life and what kind of they are you? Then the second thing I found out about this passage, the guy has some days, but then it trips me out in verse 23. It says, so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. Why didn't Jesus heal him right then and right there? Why did Jesus have to take him outside of the village to heal him? The answer is found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 21, and it says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it would be more tolerable for you for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you, and for you, Capernaum, who are exalted to the heavens, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done, and you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Why did Jesus have to bring him outside of Bethsaida? Because that city remained in disbelief, and it remained in sin. And Jesus cannot operate in an environment that is full of disbelief and, and sin. See, we have a problem in the American church today, Pastor. We have people who are walking in our churches sick and they're leaving sicker. We have people walking in our church bound and they're leaving even more bound because we find ourselves in the American church that we are, are spoiled, we are comfortable, and everything is about us. And then we got into this place of compromise. Or we no longer hold the standard of the word of God to our lives. But how many know that God has called us to be holy? That holiness is not an archaic message that is still relevant for us today. Are you following what I'm saying? So Jesus had to bring him out of that environment of disbelief and out of sin. Can I tell you, sometimes Jesus will have to bring you out of one environment so that you can experience a breakthrough in your life. That's why it is important to stay connected to this house with people who are full of faith, people who will believe in you, people who will push you into your destiny and call the best out of you. Your environment matters. Your environment matters. But what happens? We have people who are in church, Pastor. Now, y'all, listen, I'm not here for one night. (laughs) I love you. But I tell you, I'm about fed up with Christians who love Jesus and they're spoiled rotten. Because instead of being planted in the house of God, you know what happens? 
when they get mad at the pastor or don't like the music, they go to the church down the road. And then when they don't get mad and they get mad at that pastor, they go to the other church down the road. And then they, can, they keep planting, uh, not being planted, but keep transplanting themselves from church to church to church because they're looking for something that comforts them. Now, my wife is not a gardener. She's not a flower person. When we were in New York, this, this lady who was a gardener, she had some beautiful flowers in her yard. She decided to spend all this money for my wife and have these beautiful flowers in front of our house. Those flowers lasted three days. <laughs> I'm just kidding. About a week. <laughs> but I'm not a gardener. But one thing that I realized is that I can only move a flower to another pot so many times before that flower dies. And you wonder why people are dying spiritually. It's because they're not planted in the house of God. You need to be planted in an environment that will facilitate the miracle that God wants to do in your life. You know, the Bible says that they that are planted in the house of God shall flourish. We have this couple in our church. When I arrived there four years ago, they were 20 years old. They were struggling. They were, it was hard for them to pay their bills, but that couple, they stayed faithful and stayed planted in the house of God. Now that same couple at 24 years old, four kids have their own business and some of the wealthiest people in our church. Why is that? Because they stayed planted in the house of God. So Jesus had to bring him outside of the environment. Church, I want to tell you, your location matters. Part of the breakthrough in your life is not only based on the people who you associate with, but it's also based on the environment that you plant yourself in. So Jesus had to lead him outside of that environment to do a miraculous breakthrough. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, your environment matters. Go look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, your environment matters. Here's my last point. I ain't say I was done, but this is my last point. Jesus uses Unusual method to start this healing process. And the Bible says, and we read this, so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And then he spit on his eyes. He spit on his eyes and put his hands on him and asked him, has he seen anything? And he said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on him again and he looked up and everything was restored. Now, we talked about Jesus's track record. When we saw when he touched people, how they were instantly healed. But in this particular story, Jesus spits on this man's eyes. Now, listen, I am a germaphobe. I don't like germs. Corona is not a good thing and it's not from God. But if there's only one good thing that Corona taught us, that's to wash our hands. <laughs> and carry some germs. Come on, somebody. So I'm going to tell you, y'all can sit out here and be holy all y'all want to, but can I just be real with y'all tonight? Can I be real? Are y'all sure? Because had Jesus would have spit on my eyes, me and Jesus would have been boxing. You hear me? I'm telling you, I would have, he probably would have whooped my behind. I would have threw a punch in my fist with a wet lip. But I would have given him a run for his money because he spit on my, and I can't take the spit, y'all. Listen, I'm telling you, I don't like Jeremiah Jesus. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you. Jesus spit on that man. And this is the bad thing. He spit on him, and he only saw things. It wasn't clear. He said, I see men as trees. What would have kept Jesus from me fighting him is if he would have spit on me, and I would have saw clear the first time. It would have burnt me up if he spit on me. <laughs> y'all, let me tell you. Can I tell you a story real quick? 
tell you just how much I don't like germs. Don't tell the story. Um, you know, when I came to Nichols, the church I pastored now was the music pastor I, uh, several years ago. And the pastor that hired me, he was diagnosed with cancer. And we were believing God for him. God miraculously healed him of cancer. But then he come down with the swine flu. Y'all remember when that was around? He came down with the swine flu. It affected his lungs. And so he went back in the hospital. And he was, he was uh, in rough shape. And so we had a prayer meeting. And we're praying. And we're believing God for him. Believing God for him. And we're, we're praying, believing God. And so at the prayer meeting, this lady in the church came up to me and said, the Lord spoke to me. I said, okay. She said, y'all, I'm not telling y'all a lie. She said, the Lord spoke to me. I said, okay. She said, the Lord spoke to me for me to blow in your mouth. And he was going to be healed. And so everybody's feeling Jesus. Everybody feeling that. The Holy Ghost left me. But then I thought, man, I don't want them to die. So if this is going to be what it is, you know, I'm, I'm going through this battle in my head saying, God, this better be you. This better be you because if this lady blowing my mouth and it don't happen, we're going to fight. And so I'm going through this thing and, uh, and I finally conjure up enough courage and I went, and I was like, Lord, wait a minute. Please don't let any spit particles fly in my mouth. I didn't want the man to die. So I took one for the team, and she blew. That joker still died. Y'all know Pastor Scott, but I'm going to tell y'all, after I behold the beauty of the Lord, y'all sung about heaven tonight, I was all excited about it. Because when I get there, I don't want to go prematurely, but should the Lord take me, whatever, I'm going to be with him. But when I get there, and after I lay before the Lord, and, and I really... Love on Jesus. I'm going to find Pastor Scott and I'm going to Holy Ghost drop kick him right in the throat. <laughs> right in the throat. Let me get back to the passage of Scripture. So Jesus uses spit to spit on this guy. But, but why the spit? Why the process? And, and, and this is the thing. Man, I love the Bible. I want you to take out your Bibles and turn back to that chapter and go to verses 27 and 32. Chapter 8, 27 and 32, verse 32. Man, why the spit? Why the process? In chapter 27, the Bible says, Now well, Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked the disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. And then he said, I don't want to know what they say. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Whew. Man, I tell you, I love the Bible. Let's keep reading. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Pay attention right here. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he spoke this word openly. Then Peter, somebody say Peter, took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. And he turned around and looked at his disciples. And he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. Why the process? Why the spit? Can I tell you that the reason why Jesus' story is in front of us is because it explains to us how the disciples viewed Jesus. They had a partial revelation of who he was. Peter says, you are the Christ. But when Jesus started to explain that the Son of Man got 
got to be crucified and that he was going to die. Peter said, Jesus, you can't die all willy-nilly. You can't be doing that. You can't die. Jesus said, Peter, you're not thinking with the things of God. You're thinking by the things of man. And he rebuked Peter because Peter, he, he, he accepted Jesus as being the son of God, but he cannot receive his mission as the Messiah. So he only saw partially of who Jesus was. That's good. Why the spit? Somebody say, why the spit? See, the spit served as two purposes. When you spit on someone, it's shameful and degrading. And when Jesus spat into that blind man's eyes, it represented how he will be shamed and degraded on the cross and how it will result in our blinded eyes being open to the truth of the gospel and who he is. Somebody shout while the spit. See, another thing about spit is that spit carries DNA. So when Jesus spit on that man, he was transferring his DNA to this man, representing our eyes, becoming open to who we are in him. See, could we as believers and as the body of Christ, we have to understand who we are in him. We have to understand our identity. When you go into Ephesians and you read about the, the armor of God, we dissect the armor of God and we talk about the armor of God. But there's a verse before we get into the armor that we often miss but we need to pay attention to. What is it? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why? Why? You know you can have all the weaponry that you want to. But if you try to fight the enemy in your own strength, you will lose every single time. It starts with the revelation of being strong in the Lord. So knowing who I am in him, knowing that overwhelming victory is mine through Jesus Christ, knowing that I sit with him in heavenly places, what that means, that means that no matter what happens in my life, no matter the storms that I go through, no matter that the battles I face, when I'm with Jesus, I win. I win. It's a fixed battle. I win. I realize that when I'm in Christ, that the weapons may form, but they will not prosper. Because I know who I am in him. David knew who he was in God. When he came, when Goliath came against him, what did he say? Goliath, you come to me with sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Goliath, you may be great, but the God that I serve is greater. Can I tell you, church, that the enemy may be great, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It doesn't matter what you go through. When you're in Christ, you win. Somebody give him praise in this house. So the story of the blind man was a picture of how the disciples viewed Jesus. But what happened? Somebody say Peter. Peter, the one who confessed, you are the Christ. Jesus was having the last supper with his disciples. And he was telling them, you know, one of you are going to betray me. Then he looked at Peter and said, hey, man, you're going to deny me. Peter said, oh, no, Lord. I ain't going to deny you. I go with you even unto death. That's what Peter said, right? And then when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, what happened? Peter. Somebody say Peter. Peter, the one who had the revelation, cut the man's ear off, y'all. Peter, the one who was so courageous. And ready to go in the heat of the moment, denied Jesus. But Peter, <laughs> what happens to Peter? 
Is this all right? What happens to Peter? Go to Acts chapter 2. I'm about to close. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost had arrived, that they were all together in one place. Then suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were stay staying. And they saw uh, tongues like uh, flames of fire, and they separated and rest on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, the crowd came together and was confused because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't these uh, who are speaking Galilee? How is it that each of them, as each of us can hear them in our own language? And, and I'm not going to read all of them names in the middle, blah, 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 blah. Let's skip down to verse 12. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, They are drunk on new wine. What happens? Peter. Somebody say, Peter. Peter stood up and Peter said when he raised his voice that these men are not drunk as you suppose because it's only the ninth hour but this is that that the prophet Joel spoke of that in the last days I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters are going to pray. What am I trying to say to you? You see after Jesus was resurrected Jesus, uh, Peter had a revelation of the resurrected Jesus but when he had the second touch meaning that he was full of the Holy Ghost the one who was coward and who cowered down and denied Jesus stood up with boldness and said this is that. He began to preach from a full revelation of who Jesus was but it took the second touch that he began to see things more clearly and I'm telling you I believe in this house tonight that God is going to touch us again and we're going to see things just a little bit more clearly. Somebody lift your hands and say touch me again. Touch me again. Touch me again. Touch me again with the fire of the Holy Spirit. I experienced the cross of Calvary, but I need the second touch. I need the second touch. I need the touch of the Holy Ghost on my life because it's that that will give me power to be an effective witness. It is that that will give me power to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. It is that that will give me power and authority over demons and see people delivered. We need the second touch. Somebody say, touch me again. Somebody say, touch me again. Somebody say, touch me again. Come on, stand on your feet. I'm done. Lift your hands and say, God, touch me again. Touch me again. Touch me again. Touch me again. I need you to touch me. I need you to touch me. Play holy ground. Holy ground. Touch me again. I need the second touch, oh God. I need the second touch. Listen, I believe that God is about to move in this place. I don't know what all he's going to do tonight, but I, I tell you, if you surrender to it, he'll touch you again. Some of you in this room, it's been a longing for God's touch again. Some of you have been in a dry season where you haven't felt the presence of God. You've wondered, has, is He even here? God has you in this place tonight because He's going to touch you again. There are even some of you in this building who 
been wrestling with God's existence and God, are you real? You might have been through some stuff. Saying, God, I need you. And in your mind, it seems like God has failed you. But can I tell you, he has never left you. And he has never forsaken you. He wants to touch you again. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Before we could get to the second touch, we need the first touch. And the first touch is recognizing who Jesus is and the work that he did at the cross of Calvary, on the cross of Calvary. Church, I want to tell you, there's not many ways to God. There's only one way, and that is Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And I don't care how much you pay your tithes. I don't care how much you give an offering. I don't care how much you attend church. Your works will not get you into heaven. It's only believing in Jesus Christ. Believing in the gospel message. What is that? At our church, we preach it like this. God made it, Adam broke it, and Jesus put it back together again. Jesus lived a sinless life. He was crucified, buried, resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back. That's the good news. And so I want to ask you, if you're in this room and you don't know that Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Some of us play Russian roulette with our lives. Oh, we'll just do it tomorrow. We'll just do it next week. Or we'll just do it next Sunday. Listen, I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. The reality is we don't know our last, but we'll breathe our last breath. My wife's papa, he was a hard man. Hard man. He lived a hard life. got sick he didn't know Jesus as a matter of fact he was so hard he wouldn't even let a preacher pray for him and he was close on his deathbed my wife and I we begin to pray and say Lord don't let him leave this earth without coming to the saving knowledge of who you are Then he began to get soft. And he'll let a preacher pray for him. Then he was in a hospice. Still wouldn't receive Jesus until one night he had an encounter. He had an encounter where he was being chased by something that wasn't godly. And he tried to get out of his bed and he says, I got to get to church. I got to get to church. Somebody take me to church. I got to get to church. He's trying to get me. He's trying to kill me. I got to get to church. And his daughter knelt by his bedside and said, Dad, are you wanting to give your heart to the Lord? He says, I'm ready. She began to pray with him and say, repeat after me and do the whole sinner's prayer thing. And he stopped her and said, I, I'll take it from here. And that man on his deathbed began to confess his sins. And at the end of him confessing his sins, he says, Lord, I just want you to be with me. Hours later, he slipped into eternity. You may not have that moment. Listen, I'm not trying to scare you, but I am trying to tell you that there is an eternity. And without Jesus here, you'll spend eternity without him. So if you're in this room 
This is a safe spot. We're not going to judge you. There's nobody looking. It's just between you and Jesus. If you say, no, Javaris, I'm not sure of my eternity. I don't know where I go. If I breathe my last breath, I have no idea. Or perhaps you, you never made a confession of your faith. You say, oh, man, I'm a rough guy. He'll never forgive somebody like me. Can I tell you? His blood, his blood can wash you. It has no boundaries or no prejudices. He can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you don't understand what I did. No, I don't, but I understand what he did. He gave his life for you. So if you're in here, you're saying, you know, I need to make that confession of my faith. Or perhaps you say, I did it, but I've, I've walked away from the Lord and I need to recommit my life to him. I haven't been all in. I want to recommit my life to him. If you fall in one of those two categories, on the count of three, I'm going to lift my hand. I want to ask you to raise your hand. Not a, I, no fear. Your eternity matters here tonight, church. So you say, I need to either recommit my life or give my life to Jesus. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three, go. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. You know what's so amazing about Jesus is that he loves you. No matter what you've done. And listen, I'm not going to have you repeat a prayer after me. I had a personal conviction, Pastor. And Cornelius' house, the apostle was preaching. The Bible says while he was yet speaking, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Somehow, some way, they believed. What they heard, they believed. They didn't repeat a prayer, but they just heard the gospel and their heart responded to it. And they said, I believe. And so if you're here and you raise your hand and you say, I believe, I believe, Jesus, that you were born of a virgin. You lived a sinless life. You were crucified and you died, but you did not stay dead. You rose with all power in your hands. I believe. Come on, in your heart, I want you to say it. Not only just with your mouth, but in your heart. Those of you that raise your hand, stretch your hand as high as you can get them and just say, God, I believe. I believe. I'm a sinner. I need, and I'm, a, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. And I'm asking you to come into my heart. Make me new. I'm surrendering my life to you. I believe. I believe. I believe. Come on, you just begin to talk to God and tell him I believe. Those of you that have walked away from him, say, God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to walk away from you. I'm jumping all in tonight on this first Wednesday night of September. I am jumping all in. I'm recommitting myself to you you Lord come on come on come on come on somebody say I believe I believe I believe I believe in my heart I confess it with my mouth and I'm saved because I believe 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 Come on, some of you that have come here tonight, you've come in heavy, you've come in down, you've come in out, but Jesus is going to give you joy. He's going to give you joy. He's going to give you a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Somebody say, I believe. Somebody say, I believe. I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my life to you. I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm yours. Everybody look at me. Listen, I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you raised your hand and you said, I believe in Jesus, listen, this is a safe space. Safe. Nobody's going to judge you. And you gave your heart to the Lord or you recommitted your heart to the Lord tonight. I want you to unashamedly wave your hand. Come on. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Church, come on. 
Come on, don't be ashamed. Now, that's first things first. And here's the second altar call. Say, you know what, Javaris? I'm in need of a second touch. I need God to touch me again. Come on, if that's you, I want you to wave your hand all over this place. That's you. If you're comfortable, I want you to come to these altars. If you say, I want a second touch, I need a second touch. I want God to touch me again. I want him to fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. I need to experience God. I want to experience God. I want to experience him. Come on, I want you to get in these altars and begin to seek God as they begin to play, as they begin to sing. Come on, you just begin to worship and I believe that a wave of glory is going to sweep over this place. I believe that lives are going to be changed. I believe that your some are going to be baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Come on. I, come on. If we have some uh, prayer teams and pastors, if you'll just begin to lay hands and pray and begin to uh, uh, call their names out and ask God to touch them again. Touch them again. Touch them again. Come on. Come on, those of you in the congregation, you just begin to worship. Just begin to worship. I believe from the platform all the way to the back that the glory of the Lord will sweep over this place like never before. Come on. This is revive night, y'all. This is revive night. Come on. Come on. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. Let every burning heart be holy. Must bow, oh, here now. Sing it, y'all. Oh, lies healed. Oh, oh, come on. Jesus, you change. Jesus, you change everything. ask this question. If you need healing in your body, I want you to wave at me right now. Like you're, you're in pain. If you're in pain right now, wave. You're in pain? 
the healer just walked in the room. You're in pain? Both of you, lift your hands. Come on, church, I want you to point at them. <laughs> Commend their bodies. If you're in the altars, you just continue to pray. Come on, tear their bodies to be made whole. In Jesus' name. Body be made whole in Jesus' name. Body be made whole in Jesus' name. God is not in our own ability. Come on, church. I want you to pray with me. It's not in our own ability, but it's about everything that you did at the cross of Calvary. And Father, I speak to these bodies in this room, and I command them by the authority that I have in Jesus Christ for your bodies to be made whole right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Now you begin to receive your healing right now. Begin to receive your healing right now. Come on, I want you to test it out. Begin to test it out. The healer's in the room. The healer is in the room. Oh, yeah. Come on, I want you to begin to pray over these young people. Pray that God will pour out his spirit. Pray that God will fill them with the Holy Ghost. You know, they, these kids, they need the power of the Holy Spirit. They need to know. You know what? I told our church, Pastor Les, I said, you know, I refuse to be a spirit-filled church and our kids not experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe the same Holy Spirit that we have. It's the same Holy Spirit that can fill and empower them and give them a language. So God, would you pour out your spirit? Would you pour out your spirit? Come on, young people. Lift your hands. Would you pour out your spirit upon them? Pour out your spirit upon them. Pour out your spirit upon them. Come on, just lift your hands and ask him for it. Ask him for it. God, empower him. Empower him. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, church, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. God, fill us. Show us your glory. Release your glory. Release your glory. Release your glory. Gotta heal bodies. Deliver those who are bound. Hallelujah. 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 Sing, show us your glory. Show us your glory. Come on, lift your hands. Show us your glory. In wonder and surrender we fall down. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. Lift your hands, church. Make it more than just a song. Make it a prayer. Come on, lift your hands toward heaven. Show us your glory. Then wonder and surrender we fall down. Show us your glory. Hold on one second. Put this lady in the red shirt. Who is she? Miss Katie? If I didn't come for anybody else in this room, you needed this. You need it. Come on, would you step right here? The Holy Spirit says he's about to overwhelm you with his presence. So much so that everything that you've been dealing with God is going to give you joy. He's going to give you peace. He's going to turn your mourning into dancing. Come on. I sense that God, that God is doing something. Come on, lift your hands. Lift your hands. For the spirit of heaviness is about to be lifted off of you. As a matter of fact, off of the whole family. Come on. Y'all that were praying with him, come pray with him. I believe that Jesus is about to overwhelm. Come on, begin to sing. Chains fall, fear bow. Begin to sing it over him. Y'all lift your hands toward the Lord. 
Begin to lift your hands toward the Lord. He's going to move in your life right now. He's going to touch him. He's changing some things right now. I feel him. I sense him. spirit. God, open up the windows of heaven and pour our blessing that they don't have room enough to receive it. Father, let a fire be ignited and rink in church of God. A fire that cannot be quenched. A fire that will draw people from the north, south, east, and west. A fire that will cause demons to flee. A fire that will cause bodies to be healed. A fire in this place that will change this church forever. We need to fire. Somebody say, touch us again. <laughs> Touch us again. Touch us again. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, why won't you begin to pray in your heavenly language? Somebody, I feel him in this house. trail before us. Pastor, I heard the Spirit, the Holy Spirit say, is that the best days of this church is not behind it. But the best days of this church is right ahead. It's right ahead. You know that I see Corona, all this stuff, as a setup. Because the enemy has tried to silence the voice of the church. to speak up and speak out but the voice is being restored the Holy Spirit and power is being restored 
You see, before Corona, we relied on programs and everything else to build our churches, and we left out the Spirit of God. But I believe in this time, Pastor, that as we open ourselves to the moving of the Spirit of God, people are, when they come to church, they want to be here, and they're needing the move of God. They're needing the Spirit of God, and I'm believing that the Spirit of God is in this church, and that the glory of God is going to intensify in this church, and it's going to be like nothing you have ever seen before so I'm telling you Rinkin Church of God get ready get ready for an outpouring of the Spirit of God like you've never seen before we honor what God done but today it's a new day it's a new day it's a new day it's a season of power it's a season of glory it's a season of anointing somebody worship him in this house your best things are in front of you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bless you, Jesus. Now, I'm about to turn it back over to the pastor. But before he takes this pulpit, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. To shout unto God. Listen, ain't time I. Woo. I'm talking about a show enough shout. A shout of victory. A shout of. We're believing that we're blazing steam ahead with the glory of God. Come on. One, two, three. Give them your best shout. Come on. Come on. You have 30 seconds. Come on. You have 30 seconds. You have 30 seconds. Come on. Come on. Come on. You're at 20 seconds. Don't stop. Don't stop. Come on. You're at 15 seconds. Don't stop. Keep it stirring. Keep it going. Come on. You have 10 seconds. Hey! Stay right here. I want us to pray for you. God is just blowing the doors off of this man's ministry. And you, you see why tonight the anointing that's upon him. And they're planning a church, expanding over into Warner Robins. Will you just lift your hand this way? God, we pray, Lord, for Javaris Wright. We pray for April tonight, his wife. God, we thank you, God, for the man of God. God, I thank you, God, for the appointment, God, that you have him in right now in Nichols. God, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in him through Warner Robbins. God, I thank you for the impact that he's making, God, as he's speaking and singing and using his gifts for you. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that you would touch him, Lord, like never before. God, give him that fresh anointing that he talked about tonight. God, sometimes, Lord, we're... We're just weary in the battle. And, God, I pray for strength, God. Lord, you know the touch he needs from you tonight, God, to continue to do what it is you called him to do. So, Lord, we pray for good health for him, for his wife, for his church. God, we pray for fresh vision, God, for fresh anointing. God, that his greatest days are ahead. That the greatest days for Nichols Church of God are ahead. And this church in Warner Robins, God, for his family. And God, we thank you for the anointing that's upon him. God, continue to use him. And God, we pray that everything that the enemy would form against him, Lord, your word says that you raise up a standard against the enemy. So raise up a standard against anything that the enemy would be bringing in his life. And God, may he enter a greater season of effectiveness in his ministry than he ever has before. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you give Javaris a hand tonight? Thank you for ministering to us. Thank you for speaking to us tonight. You know, he, he does not know this, um, but uh, if you were, and you guys were listening, you were very engaged tonight, you know that what he preached tonight from Mark and what he preached tonight, he didn't quote the Proverbs, but he preached the Proverbs tonight. And we are on day, anybody know? Day, we're on day... 21, 20-something 
We're, we're on day 20-something of 40 days in the Word. We call it Fierce 40. And we are about 20 days into every day we're reading a psalm, a proverb, and we're reading through different passages of Scripture. And the last week, we started reading through the book of Mark. So what you read tonight is what we read last Friday. And we've been reading through Proverbs. And so an on-time word, you preach tonight what we've already been eating, right? Anybody else notice that besides me? Man, thank you so much for coming tonight, Javaris, and pouring to us. Thank you for being here tonight. I praise God for what he's done in this house tonight. Are, are you leaving revived and refreshed and renewed? Well, I hope so. I hope so. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week. We'll see you back here at Sunday morning at 9 and 11 for a great day of worship. You say